We're recording this the day after that explosive bombshell interview with Oprah Winfrey and Harry and Meghan. Is it that explosive? We are interviewing people that are literally, they're, they're royalty, like they're literal royals. And they're shocked that there's like guardrails on what it is they can do. And then we're shocked that a system that's been in place for hundreds of years run by a lady in like her 90s is not the most progressive. It's like, we just want to live a quiet life. And it's like, you're being interviewed by Oprah. How's your relationship with your family? Again, you're talking with Oprah. Well, it's not good now if it was okay before. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode 214 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. You may ask if I'm being silent or if I'm being silenced. But yes, it's me, Chris Boyer. <laughs> uh, we just want to live a normal life. You're talking with Oprah. Anyway, whatever. Welcome to Touchpoint. Thanks for tuning in for yet another week of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate the support. Uh, we could not do this show without you, the listeners. And uh, a few months into 2021, uh, over this unprecedented last year, we've seen our audience grow substantially as we embark on the one-year anniversary of, well, when I went home from work, but where, where most people would kind of say it, quote-unquote, started, even though it didn't really start, I guess, but was kind of that second-ish week of, of March. And so here we here we find ourselves just about at that one-year mark. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that in coming shows, weeks, episodes, months, etc. But for today, we've got a really cool topic in store. But before we get to that, just want to plug the website, touchpoint.health. If you're new to the show, uh, you may be wondering what you're listening to. You can go check that out on the website. We've got show notes there for not only the episode you're listening to, but 213 previous episodes. Also, close to 20 or 20-ish other shows on the network, show host, other topics, etc. So you can go check that out at touchpoint.health. Rate, review, subscribe. Wherever you happen to listen or stream, write a review. All that kind of fun stuff we certainly appreciate. So let's take a pause and we'll be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And read, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. I'm going to enjoy this topic today, Reed, because it's one that's really close to my heart. But it's also one that is one we, we could talk about this for a very long time, which is what is the best way to add the voice of your customer into your marketing efforts? Yes. And it is quite literally close to your heart as in uh, your mouth, word of mouth. <laughs> well, I think word of mouth is part of it, right? When you think about like adding the voice of your customer, there's going to be three things that we're going to talk about today. One is that word of mouth. How, what does word of mouth marketing look like in today's day and age? We're also going to be talking about voice of customer strategies, which is a topic we've, we've addressed before. And then lastly, looking forward to the interview we have, where we're going to have a conversation with someone who's created a product that allows you to capture the voice of customer in your communications and marketing efforts. So it should be a really interesting episode ahead. It should be great. We've talked about this topic previously. A friend of mine, Andy Sternovitz, uh, actually wrote the book, Word of Mouth Marketing, back when, runs an organization called socialmedia.org, which many folks probably know and are maybe even part of his organization. He's a great guy. Yeah, we had him at the Mayo Clinic conference a few years ago even. Well, let's talk about first then, read about word of mouth marketing. No surprise, social media is a big part of this, so I can understand Andy having written, written the book about this. We found a great article that was written by a company called Big Commerce, bigcommerce.com. They wrote an article entitled Word of Mouth Marketing in 2021, How to Create a Strategy for Social Media Buzz and Skyrocket Referral Sales. Sounds like a great article for us to start with. First, they start out, they jump in, and they uh, actually touch on some definitions. So they, they first say that traditionally word of mouth marketing was spread from one person to another person based on a recommendation, right? I mean, this was literally word of mouth. Like you would say, hey, I went and ate at a restaurant. You should go there. But with the modern age, as we know, with all of our digital tools, we've developed ways that we can actually do word of mouth marketing differently. Now it's both targeted efforts and naturally occurring instances where users share their satisfaction with a company or a brand. That could still be the traditional way where we talk to one another, or it could be through digital channels and particularly like social media, review sites and things like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think review sites is what really changed a lot of this because then it was instead of these one-to-one or one-to-few conversations, like literal conversations that you had either over the phone or at the time in person, certainly, to now it's you know kind of one-to-many with, with the reviews. The article goes on to outline organic word of mouth versus amplified word of mouth, which is an interesting nuance. Clearly, organic is this naturally occurring where people become advocates and they spread the news in a, in a happy way, right? With their positive kudos about the organization. Whereas amplified word of mouth is when marketers actually launch specific campaigns designed to encourage or accelerate word of mouth in their strategies. It's interesting that we're now like getting into the nuances of what word of mouth actually could be today. Sounds a lot like Instagram influencers to me. <laughs> yep. 
And it really is. I mean, I kid, but that really is the whole point of the, you know, being an influencer, right? And and you see brands that will launch into a campaign with their influencers. I, I follow and, and watch a lot of content around uh, a couple of different things, woodworking stuff, but also like guitars and stuff anyway. Uh, but you'll see where, say, Fender launches a new guitar and they send that guitar out to all these people that make these YouTube videos to review it. Right. That would be a, an example of kind of this amplified word of mouth. You know, they're, they're getting that out there. They're wanting people to talk about it, use it. And it's a, it's a strategic kind of move or a campaign kind of get that into the, into the sphere. They do mention a few stats here. Nielsen, uh, that obviously does a lot of reporting, uh, reports that 92% of consumers believe suggestions from friends and family far more than advertising. 92% say that they would take a suggestion from a friend or family member prior to just a straight up ad. Does that surprise you? Not really. No. I mean, that makes sense. If somebody says, I went to this restaurant, it was really good. Maybe I'll go try it. But if it's just, there is a new restaurant and I've seen, you know, the sandwich board out on the sidewalk or whatever, don't have quite the draw necessarily. You know, more than that, though, beyond the friends and family recommendations, 88% of consumers trust online reviews written by others. I think that number may vary by the type of review, et cetera, but that's a, that's a pretty standard number that we see. And that has gone even more so to influence how they make decisions, right? Yeah, and, and I guess it, they there is a large assumption, right, that the reviews that are written are by real people and real experiences. But I guess there is a little more skepticism there. That's why it's a few points shy, or you don't know them, you know, specifically and that kind of thing. But they also talk about the fact that seventy four percent of consumers identify word of mouth as a key influencer in their purchasing decisions. That's a significant ap- amount of consumers. Businesses must realize that. But the, the next stat they list shows a different story, right? Uh, you know, they talk about only about a third of businesses are actively seeking out and collecting reviews. And what's interesting is like, you know, you take this into healthcare, into hospitals specifically, if, if you're going down the path of something elective, uh, let's say joint replacement, for example, you're going to want to hear from someone you know who also had their knee replaced. Absent of that, um, you'd like to know, you know, a friend of a friend, you know, or or something to that effect. Short of that, then you kind of start moving into the, the world of online reviews. You know, it's people in the area, so to speak, or I guess for joint replacement, they would be, you know, from the general area about a particular doctor facility or that kind of thing. I think, you know, that's kind of the logical path. And that's why obviously online reputation and, and those types of things are so important for these physicians. But yeah, only a third of businesses actively seeking out and collecting reviews. Which is crazy because the last stat that we're going to mention before we get into some of the advantages of word of mouth is that research has found that 10% increase in word of mouth, either off or online, translated into a lift in sales, whatever that may be, between 0.2 to 1.5%. Is that a good ROI? 10% generating a 1.5% lift? I don't know, is it? I guess it depends. It, when I saw those two numbers side by side, I'm like, wait, that that could be pretty substantial if you really invest heavily on your word of mouth 
opportunities, right? The reviews and things like that. I think the key word here is it's translated into sales. So I guess depending on what your margins are, that could be amazing. In retail, retail, you know, usually things are keystoned or you know they're they're doubled in price. You're buying something for ten bucks, you're selling it for twenty. That's not really the the case, like in healthcare, obviously. So, I mean, depending on the service line in healthcare, I guess that could be good. But again, I don't know that that really equates because that's not really what they were measuring. But right, that's a good point. Obviously, we know that there are advantages behind using word of mouth as a way to supplement your your marketing communications. The first is to grow revenue without the ad spend. Well, that is if you're not buying off influencers, right? Right. (laughs) Is that still an ad if you're paying an influencer? I guess it is. This is about uh, build a community, not a commodity. So word of mouth marketing works to build an engaged fan base rather than a, you know, kind of the hot cold of like, you know, Am I in the market or need to buy something? And then one of the last ones here they say is that more funding equals more freedom. I like that. Brands with higher customer loyalty and therefore repeat purchases receive more funding. Interesting. I guess it's for the startup community. They go further on to qualify. They say, why? It's because of CAC and LTV. Two more acronyms, list. <laughs> The, the customer acquisition cost and lifetime val- cost of lifetime value, e- even outside of the the funding scenario, take somebody like Apple that that has obviously a very loyal fan base, and they're going to buy everything Apple puts out. It does create more freedom because you literally have more money than everyone else. <laughs> I mean, literally, and you can do whatever you want. Yeah. It gives you a lot of flexibility in your product roadmap, growth and hiring and acquisitions and all that kind of stuff. You could set up your product release cycles to be annual for your new phone too, because you know you have a built-in audience, right? Yeah, it's, it gets a lot easier to predict revenue at that point. <laughs> this article is really interesting. There's a couple more things we want to cover here. The next section they talk about are the three factors of word of mouth marketing that can lead to uh, um, an effective approach. And the first is uh, brand loyalty. We were just talking about that, right? A positive word of mouth advertising and marketing strategy keeps customers coming back and referring other customers. So they keep coming back, right? So that's that whole built-in revenue stream that whenever you release a new phone every year, you know you're going to sell a bunch of them because you have a loyal fan base. Yep. Also talk about trust and trust building. So HubSpot shows uh, that 75% of people don't believe advertisements yet. 90% trust suggestions. Most people don't believe advertising. Most people do believe their friends. I mean, that's kind of the short of it, I guess. Or experiences, right? Because it's usually an experience somebody's telling you about. You know, it's their personal experience. This is the three-pronged punch, right? Brand loyalty, building trust. The last is to create interest or even buzz. The only way to create a genuine buzz about your brand is to have impartial people shouting about you in the media and on social networks, says this article. Well, I'm not saying that's the only way, right? There's other ways to create buzz about your brand, but they certainly do help. If you do word of mouth marketing right, it will generate a lot of interest in your brand and and gain uh, interest from people that are traditionally not your customers. I get that. Yep. Love people shouting on social media. (laughs) 
All caps reviews. <laughs> my favorite part. My favorite part. So then the, the article pivots a little bit and talks about, you know, building a better experience and that that's really what this is about. Because again, I think it's hard to get the word of mouth uh, without paying for it. But even if you pay for it, it's not going to last. It's not, it's not really going to to be able to sustain that momentum. You know, you're just kind of buying the uptick, I guess, a little bit. But they talk really about four, uh, four different things as it relates to uh, building a better experience. The first one is to provide a quality offering. We, you know, we've always said that, like, let's not market a bad experience. Like, that's like a terrible idea. So they say it's impossible to create a positive experience if what you're selling just isn't up to scratch. So poor reviews and customers likely to they'll spend spread plenty of negative word of mouth. You know, if if what you're offering is not what anybody wants. Yeah, this isn't the days of P.T. Barnum where any buzz is good buzz, right? We want positive word of mouth, not negative word of mouth, <laughs> or else you could potentially damage your, your service offering. The second one is a seamless uh, ordering process and site usability. So now this gets very specific to like digital people like you and me, Reed, but they say 93% of consumers consider visual appearance to be the key deciding factor in a purchasing decision. So I'm kind of confused because that kind of flies against the earlier statistic that we said, but I get the fact that you want to make it look visually appealing, so to speak. You want to look professional. But one thing that has turned me off in all my years working in, in hospitals is when you get to the online form where you can request an appointment, if it's really structured in a poor way, I would just stop doing what I'm doing because of that. And I think that's what speaks to this. But they say even here further, Forrester Report claims that a better user experience design can increase conversion rates by up to 400%. So after uh, having that uh, whiz-bang product and uh, having a seamless ordering process, you've got to provide good customer service, if you will. And so they, they talk in here, a study about uh, from Locate uh, report claims that 49% of consumers would shop online more if they felt more confident about the delivery and 50% are reluctant to reorder if the delivery's late. Um, I, I mean, I can vouch for this. We had initially, we had good, good luck with a particular kind of home delivery food uh, service early in the pandemic. And then like, you know, they were showing up a day late and, you know, some of the food was kind of thawed out and so, you know, and so it just, it just got to where, you know, the service, the product was great. Like it, it worked really well and it worked really well for us, but it just, you know, we couldn't rely on it. can rely on the service. The last point here about building a better experience is to make sure you go above and beyond. Every customer interaction is different, they say, but it should be treated as an opportunity to impress. If you can get in the mindset of striving for excellence in every situation and every touch point you have with your customer, you will always be putting forward best customer first practices. This is an interesting article about word of mouth. When we get back from the break, why don't we talk a, a little bit about the other part of this strategy, which is voice of customer. And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. 
In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we talked a little bit about word of mouth marketing. Uh, now we're going to talk about voice of the customer or VOC. And that also like something to do with how much uh, anaerobic capacity your lungs have, your VOC. It's like a, sorry. <laughs> Voice of customer is, or VOC is a term that describes your customer's feedback about their experiences. So we talked before about getting good experiences. Now we're getting their feedback on those experiences and also expectations about your products and services. It's focusing on customer needs, expectations, understandings, and ultimately to product and service improvement. This is like sort of the extension of what we were just talking about before. So how do you build a successful voice of customer program, Reed? You uh, get a bunch of customers and you get their voices and you put it together into a campaign. Simple as that. So the voice of the customer is an interesting one to me because, you know, we talked a little bit about word of mouth, obviously, earlier in the show. and, And it is that, but that's not all that. When you're going in and this is what the article starts talking about when they're talking about actually building a successful program, I think that's what's interesting about this is the programmatic aspect of that versus just sometimes word of mouth is almost reactive or it's a byproduct in a lot of cases of like what we talked about having a good product and process and you know those types of things. But when they're talking about building a successful voice of the customer program, the first thing that they talk about in here which I think is is key, and the way they have them ordered, probably the one that should go first, which is strong leadership. So they talk about establishing a customer-centric culture starts at the top, and I, I would say that's right. I think anything starts at the top uh, from a culture perspective. So without executive-level buy-in, there's not, not a great chance that uh, you're going to be able to pull this off or have a huge impact. Uh, certainly, there's going to be folks that are more in the doer roles within the organization, but you've, you've got to, it's, it's got to be important enough that someone not just operationalizes it, but puts it, puts it in, in place to really be uh, a focal point for the organization. The putting in a focal point kind of relates directly to the vision and clarity piece of this. You, your vision for your voice of customer needs to be so specific so that everyone in your organization can actually understand what you're trying to accomplish. They recommend a short and simple vision statement to increase not only understanding, but also that buy-in from the leadership. The next thing they talk about is engagement and collaboration. So an engaged workforce is vital, they say, uh, for the success, specifically the long-term success of a customer-centric company. Cross-functional collaboration, synergy, all that kind of good stuff. Any other buzzword we might want to throw in there does make it more impactful. Again, coming from the top, that there's there is this vision around this is what we're trying to be. We're trying to be a uh, you know consumer centric company. You really have to have the employees engaged and bought in. If you don't have happy employees, you won't have happy customers. 
in short. Uh, listening and learning is another component of this. Systematic method for monitoring and collecting customer feedback is very important for overall experience. And there are many different ways you can do this. So it's important to build a listening program that can not only uh, be robust to to ask different questions or maybe, you know, depending on what you're trying to track, but also be able to pivot with customers. If mm-hmm. let's say, for example, they go to a different social media platform, how are we now going to start to tap into that customer base to get feedback? Then they go on to talk about alignment and action. So alignment, obviously, uh, all the team members marching same direction, right? It's measurable, et cetera. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at improving the customer experience all the while. Back to measurement, uh, our favorite topic. Alignment and action really kind of leads us down a measured path. We're improving the customer experience, but how are we, how are we measuring those incremental steps and what does success look like? And lastly, be patient when you're doing this and be committed. Don't give up. Because really, if you're trying to build a world-class customer culture, you can't do that overnight. It's going to take a, take time. I think about you know the companies that we know of as b- very highly rated as good customer experience organizations. They have spent years and years doing this. And by the way, they also alluded to in this article that you can't outsource this. You have to do as much as you can to internalize your voice of customer efforts and just have that fortitude to continue to be invested in that uh, voice of customer initiative. So one thing they do point out in here as part of this article that I I thought was kind of neat is uh, three questions to answer before building your voice of the customer strategy. I like asking questions before we do stuff. I think so too. It, It tends to help a little bit guide where we go. So anyway, the first one, which is super important what business objective do we want, or objectives, I guess, do we want to achieve by developing this program? Yeah, it's interesting. And they, they say there really are two main answers to a voice of customer initiative. The first would be benchmarking. They say because benchmarking is a comparative exercise, it's essential to have an apples-to-apples approach to how you're going to be doing this then. That means serving up the same set of questions to every survey respondent, regardless of their pathway. This reminds me of like when we do like the Press Ganey or the NRC surveys, right? After we uh, after they have an experience with our hospital, they're asking the same questions, regardless if it's on phone, if it's via email, et cetera. And they're asking of every patient that comes through. That is a benchmarking related initiative. The other possible answer, I, I don't, it doesn't have to be one or the other, I guess, necessarily, but is uh, around the idea of just continuous improvement. And how do we continue to evolve and make uh, what we offer in, in our experience better? So a lot of these are rating questions, but the value rises as you think about how are people experiencing us and how do we continue to make the experience uh, better and better. Benchmarking is a lot of like what patient experience does traditionally in a hospital or health system. Uh, Whereas continuous improvement is a lot of what social media reviews and ratings are bringing into the fold. And sometimes those two initiatives don't seem to mesh well together. And and this is a great way to kind of uh, align what your objective is to what you're measuring. The second question they ask is given whatever strategic intent we're doing, 
What is it that we need to capture? And depending on who you are, we have different answers. Yeah, they talk about that executives um, you know, want that kind of top-line feedback and visibility. Uh, so maybe it's the net promoter score, that likelihood to recommend. Maybe it's uh, some sort of thematic uh, feedback. You know, are we hearing about the same thing a lot, you know, problems or, or positives even? Could be a, a specific uh, initiative or award like the Baldridge Quality Award or something like that that is is being efforted within the organization. So maybe there's certain metrics they want to see. Then if you turn over to the marketing team, you may want to know different things like, you know, who's responding and what is their experience trying to select your service or your product or whatever it might be. And you can even get more specific. You're a digital person. You, you, you might want to start to measure, well, how did this form measure up against this form? Or offer them a chat bot over maybe a phone number. Is that helping better in terms of getting people to what they want to get to, you know, or whatever their goal is? So given our objectives and information needs, how should we survey? I mean, how do we gather and gain feedback and insights? So they talk about the fact that if you, you know, if the purpose of this program uh, is to benchmark, then it's probably pretty straightforward. You're asking some questions. They're fairly basic. Uh, you're getting feedback and you're you're trending and looking at that over time. Conversely, though, if what you're trying to you know do is uh, you know really kind of uh, build on the current experience and improve over time, then we really need to ask questions maybe in real time. You know, you're trying to gather that feedback of like, and I'm thinking about like a hospital. So, you know, how is the registration process? What about parking, arrival? The, you know, you're, you're trying to understand different kind of points in time within the, within the, uh, the visit even, uh, pre and post. That gets kind of complicated. And it requires a more sophisticated platform and your metrics get different. So very quickly, before we go to the interview, they list a couple of best practices. And it might be good for us to just maybe hit them at a high level read. And then people that want to delve a little bit deeper, they can actually click through the link in our show notes. The first one they say is to connect feedback across as multiple data channels as you can. So try to do this in a multi-channel way. Collaboration across departments with action planning, uh, again, makes a lot of sense for really any initiative. Incorporate the voice of the employee. Again, back to that idea of the happy employee will lead to a happy customer. You know, we want to make sure that we're getting employee feedback because they are basically the expression of that customer experience. Make sure that people know how we're doing. They, they talk in here about dashboards and reports and things like that. And, um, you know, just as a side caveat here, I just re remember that it's not a one size fits all, right? So there, there could be reporting or insights that leadership needs, like we talked about a minute ago, those NPS scores, for example, et cetera. And it could be a lot different for, for people that are over a particular service line, for example. ROI is related to that, measuring ROI and also your, your business goal, right? Uh, if you ask the question above, what are we trying to accomplish? What are you measuring? What does success look like? One of your favorite questions, Reed, right? What does success look like? Yeah. If we do this X amount of time down the road, if this was all successful, what happened? And then certainly uh, because of, you know, the nature of what we're talking about, but really for uh, all these initiatives uh, that we think about as marketers, uh, always focusing on the customer. Well, there is one other part of, you know, making sure that we are adding our voice of customer into our marketing efforts. I had a chance to sit down with Michael Hoffman, 
talk about the importance of capturing the voice of customer in your marketing communication efforts. Michael has created a, a product called Gather Voices, designed to gather the voices of your customers in a very authentic, easy, straightforward way that can then be used to do all of the things we talked about, word of mouth marketing, as well as capturing voice of customer. It was a really interesting interview, and we are going to go to it in just a moment after this break. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to be talking with Michael Hoffman. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited that you're here today. And before we get started to talk about the conversation, I would love for uh, people listening in who may not know about you to learn a little bit more about you and your background. Would you mind sharing a brief history of yourself? I kind of went on a circuitous route to where I am today, but I, I started my career as a nonprofit fundraiser uh, and then ended up spending about six years doing venture capital and building internet companies, which led me to create a digital marketing agency uh, that I built in Chicago called C3 Communications. That's spelled S-E-E number three.com. It's still around doing great work. And C3, I call it a too clever by half play on 501C3 because uh, C3 works for charities and social good organizations, helping them with all things digital, which is what led me to what I'm doing today, which is I'm the co-founder and CEO at Gather Voices, and we're a software company that makes video easy for organizations to create, collect, manage, share, edit, and help advance their missions. When you describe that, many people listening in, they're familiar with different types of video technologies and et cetera. But there's a, a unique perspective that you've taken in the development of this tool. I think it's really interesting because I come from the world of the agency where you're doing professional video production. And I think that's still the bucket in people's minds where video lives, that you hire people to make videos. There are video professionals, which is all true. But we're in a world today where everyone is walking around with extremely powerful video cameras um, in their pockets. And actually, that's how I got the idea for Gather Voices was when the first feature film was shot on an iPhone. And I thought, we're sending camera crews around. We're doing something that's not scalable at all, which is we can only talk to a few people with video. We can only create a few videos. But now all of the people that we want on video are walking around with professional video cameras. And that happened to correspond with a time where trust in organizations and brands and government is declining and people trust their peers more. And all of that came together. And, and, and I would say a third thing, which is whole generations being trained to make videos and watch videos on their devices, right? And so all of those things coming together and saying, well, how do we get out of that paradigm where the only video content you can do as an organization is really expensive and slow. And how do we scale that to take the kind of content that people like and that people spend a lot of time on and turn it into real value for organizations and companies? And we're called Gather Voices and not Gather Video because it's really all about the people who haven't been in the conversation 
being able to be in the conversation. And I think of that at all levels, you know, inside a company uh, with employees, uh, outside a company with customers in in the world of uh, nonprofits with donors and fans and members, you know, and I also think globally, you think about how much content in the world is done in English, most of it, um, and how many billions of people um, where English is not their native language and just how much creativity and, you know, just incredibly interesting experiences and stories are out there that can enrich the world that that we have an opportunity to lift up. And, and that's really what Gather Voices is all about. You know, and it's interesting that we're talking at this point in time, because there are a lot of forces at work right now, creating an opportunity for gathering voices of our audiences as part of our outreach efforts. And I'm talking specifically, many of the people listening in are work in hospitals and health systems. And we're right now faced with vaccine communications um, for all of our patients. At the early stages of vaccine perception, even vaccine hesitancy, which is a term now that we use quite frequently. So when we think about that, what is your perspective on the role of gathering voices in this effort of vaccine hesitancy communications? Uh, yeah, Chris, that's a really interesting uh, point. And I think it's it's we're at the point where I think intuitively we all understand that the institutional communications do not have the power that they used to have. The government telling us that it's fine doesn't mean people believe that it's fine, right? We've lost trust. And, and in many ways, frankly, you know, over the last few years, trust has been purposely destroyed in institutions uh, in many ways, but that hurts everyone. And so the the health systems can't message just as the health systems and expect that people are going to uh, respond in the way that maybe years ago they would have. And so we all know intuitively that individuals have much more power in those communications than institutions today. If I can see someone like me walking through that emotional journey of saying, I looked into it, uh, I talked to my doctor, I did some homework, I'm sure it's safe. I've talked to five people who've had it. I'm going to do it. I want to see my mom who I haven't seen in a year. Those stories and those personal experiences are going to be much more powerful in moving the needle of uh, getting over that vaccine hesitancy than some clever ad, you know, that would come out of like an ad agency you know, that's what we're all about is really those real stories and that real authenticity because it works because we know uh, that that's what connects to people. And I think in a healthcare setting, I think that's particularly true. And, you know, there are influential people in healthcare setting. I think doctors are still uh, seen as one of those audiences that, or one of those communities that actually still has influence. But we we even saw how that was degraded over the last year, right? In many ways. You're indeed right about that. Yet many of the studies that we see, they show that the trust is still there with the local healthcare provider among the, you know, the general community and their local healthcare provider. And I think it's not lost on me that uh, many of organizations that are doing uh, outreach around vaccine availability now are starting at first because of the kind of the rollout of the vaccine with their employees. So these doctors, these nurses that are the frontline workers are getting the vaccine first. 
and also being able to capture their own personal emotional journey towards it. I think about, you know, when we saw the first vaccine being administered here in the United States, it was a a nurse and all the news cameras were around her asking what was her rationale, what was her motivation to, to take the vaccine. I think about that and I, and I say many of our audience, they don't have the luxury of having news cameras for every time someone gets a vaccine. Capturing that emotional moment becomes a critical input into the conversation around vaccines. Is that fair? I, I think you're right that even though the people trust their local provider, those local providers don't have access to the means of communication other than the one-on-one that they have. And that doesn't that's, doesn't scale, right? So I think the idea of saying, okay, how do we enable even our providers to be speaking out in a way where they're going to reach their entire practice audience, as opposed to just, you know, one patient at a time. The problem with the one patient at a time, and I just heard this recently, it was an interview with somebody, it was about vaccine hesitancy, and it was in Illinois in a rural place. And it was somebody's like, I'm not going to take it, you know, I want to wait 10 years to see if there's side effects or something. The reporter, you know, talked about how people trust their local provider and stuff, and then went to the person and said, well, do you have a local provider that you trust, you know, a local doctor? And the guy said, yes, absolutely. And and then the guy said, well, yeah, I'm not going to call him. <laughs> so it was like, basically, I don't want to hear the message that I don't want to hear. And so there's a real need, I think, to lift those voices up and to amplify them and not simply use the really limited communication the mechanisms that they have naturally. Health systems, when they think about like producing a targeted communication as a PSA to their communities, they often fall into a myopic perspective. Even in the early conversations around uh, vaccine hesitancy and studies that were shown, health systems tend to lean forward with like talking about the clinical safety of the vaccine and, you know, kind of describing it from a clinical aspect. But yet, Uh, you know, this pandemic has shown that COVID and moving through the COVID pandemic, it impacts everyone. And it's not necessarily, it is rooted in science for sure. It's rooted in health, but there's an emotional aspect of this as well that needs to be captured. And I think many organizations, when they plan sort of targeted outreach, they sometimes are not aware of the emotional triggers that many of the people being impacted by this are feeling. We are often removed from uh, that, you know, emotional side, and we need to understand the journey that people go on emotionally. Uh, You know, there's a thing about being able to experience somebody else going through an emotional journey, and that becomes kind of practice, mental practice that gets somebody else through it. You know, I think that's something that can happen when we lift up more stories and more voices. I'm a big advocate in understanding the voice of your customer and understanding where their needs are, because that is the path that we in the marketing communications world, that's what we're actually trying to achieve. We're trying to get to that personalized communication. Yet I think often there are so many barriers between us and our general community, you know, capacity, resources, being you know unable to uh, talk one-on-one with our collective audiences of millions of people potentially. When we think about like how do we start to engage in that one-to-one communication, 
it becomes a bit of a challenge. And oftentimes many professionals in our industry stop because they're not sure how to move forward. Yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, I think we have really limited systems to try to communicate and get feedback. And I think it's become more important, right? The voice of patient and uh, patient experience and things like that have become things that people talk about and is more important and is maybe connected to reimbursements and cases. Um, but there really is limited mechanisms to to be able to um, scale that in a way that people want to participate. You know, you think about surveys and you kind of wonder how many times, you know, a week do you decline to be the one to do the survey, you know, when you're offered that, you know, with some kind of company and you sort of wonder, well, who are the people who do those surveys? You know, are they representative of the community of people? And how do we make that more natural for people to share their experience? You know, which again can be used for marketing in, you know, in the sense of using somebody's experience to help other people understand what that experience is going to be like. But it's also a feedback mechanism for the organizations and for their experiences and their processes to know what people really feel and think. And, you know, there's nothing like hearing from someone as if they're in the room with you. That's really different than getting, you know, a set of surveys back that, you know, have some questions that don't capture the real emotion of it. And we've talked often on this show about those surveys that we do. I think they're important. They are a measurement. One of the the multiple ways that you can actually measure a voice of customer, but actually hearing from their experience firsthand in their own words is a powerful thing. I was just thinking about how the people who collect those surveys, and I think you're right, the surveys is you can do that at scale and there's important information there, but the people who collect those surveys need to then tell a story with that data. And they need to tell a story to the administrators, to the people that can have impact on making change, right? That's why you do the surveys. To be able to add into that the voices of real experiences that punctuate what comes out of the survey changes the presentation of that material in a way that has real impact. And I think that's something we can't forget. It's not, we're not in a perfect world where everybody pays attention to the facts and moves the institutions according to the things that they need to do. Part of the job of the marketer, of the data person, of the quality folks is to tell those stories. And there's nothing like punctuating the data with real human emotion. Yeah, bringing that human voice into the things that we're measuring. That's so significant. Now, you mentioned something at the top of the show, Michael, um, at the beginning of this interview, Michael, that the consumers or people now are very much adept to video as a way to express themselves. Let's drill into that just a little bit, because I, I agree with you. We're seeing that all of these social media platforms have now started to embrace, you know, I think every social media platform now has some kind of story capability, right? Right, right. What have you seen as video, as a medium to actually connect with people? Video is so much more powerful than everything else right now. And there's just a lot of data that shows that. So for example, 88% more time is spent on web pages that have videos on them. Uh, and we know time on site is one of those stickiness metrics, you know, for marketers. 
we know that video on average has 1,200% more shares than images or text. So that's not a small amount more. It's a massive amount more engagement, right? Because that's our goal all the time is, is how do you engage people? And when polled, I, th- I think it's 67% of marketers say that you know video is their absolutely number one priority because of the impact it has. And one of the things that I talk to our clients about and, and that drives them to gather voices as well is that we're still institutionally, we're still really dependent on email. And email is still a primary means to communicate with your owned audience, you know, the audience that you have as an organization. And email open rates have been going down and email click-through rates are going down. And video actually pumps those back up. Putting the word video in in a subject line, and I'm sure you've seen that where it's, you know, in brackets, let's say, and it's in caps, that in research, it will get anywhere from, you know, 50 to... 300% more opens than without it, because people would rather look at that video than just read that email. And then when you have a thumbnail with a play button, you know, in your video, that when you click on that will take you to where that video will play, you will, on average, increase your click throughs by anywhere from 100 to 300%. That's an example of where we can utilize video strategically to take the channels that we're already using. And, you know, we, we talk about channel health, right? How do you get your web pages, your social media, and your email healthier, more sticky, more, more click-throughs, more engagement? Uh, and video is a really solid way to do that. There's a degradation of trust within the social media platforms for various other reasons. Mm-hmm. And many professionals in our industry are starting to wonder about all of these videos that are being created, or maybe all of these ways that consumers can connect with them through social media. And, and rethinking those and saying, is there a way that we could, instead of you know spending time on what we call like the lease properties, actually bring them onto our owned properties? And I think that that's a big challenge as well, because we can create videos. I think videos are great on social media, but the videos that we can generate ourselves becomes that much more meaningful too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, social media is chaos, right? And and there is attention there, and that doesn't mean you 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 don't need to spend attention there. But your owned spaces are really important, and engaging your community in your own spaces is particularly important. And that's one of the reasons that what we do a lot of gather voices around both collection of video content and using a video content is is saying how do you include video into your existing workflows and that's something that people just never usually think about because usually when they do video as an organization it's a video project you know and a video project means we hire these people to do this video project we reach out to specific people to get them on video when we talk about workflows we say okay Every time somebody does this thing, like register to get the vaccine, let's show them video or let's ask them for video. Every time they do some transactional thing, let's then put in front of them this opportunity to tell their story. And the result of that is a constant flow of content, some of which is terrible 
<laughs> some of which is amazing. And we talk about influencers, and I think this is something that's shifting a bit. You know, when we talk about influencers, we used to think about like the Kardashians or, you know, people with huge reach and stuff like that. And I think what has turned out to be true is that they don't necessarily have influence in most areas. That even if you're a fan, if they tell you something about, you know, the vaccine, you might just be like, well, you're just not a trusted messenger on that topic. You know, what we really believe is that everyone is an influencer in their own community. And so you need a much broader range of voices in order to have real influence. So one of the things that the side effect of getting content in all the time is it helps reveal who those stars are that already are in your community. Those people who are incredibly charismatic, right? And then those people you can go back to over and over again. You can send the professional crew to those people, right? Because you've surfaced stories and individuals that have real power. And the way to do that is to be asking all the time. The other thing, when we first started, we thought, okay, the, the value of the video is the video itself. So I, I'm collecting a video uh, from you because I asked you to tell your story. And it's valuable if I can use that video to influence others. What we've learned is simply by asking you to tell your story, I've increased engagement and trust with you. So the act of asking you creates something that says we care about you and who you are and your story. And that creates a deeper connection to the organization. If you choose to make the video, whether we use it or not, you have done something active and physical that connects you to the organization and the institution and deepens trust. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but there's two sides of this, right? There's the content itself and the value of the content itself. And there's simply the value of asking everyone about their stories, about what they think, about what they care about. That deepens your uh, trust and engagement with those people. I think that's like the silver bullet there too, right? That many organizations are kind of struggle with and package that all up in something that's actually quite intuitive to use. Michael, this has been a really good conversation. What are some ways that people can reach out to you and follow you online? Well, I think, first of all, find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Michael Hoffman and Gather Voices. Uh, you can find me uh, as well as uh, send me an email. I'm just Michael at gathervoices.co. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from folks who are who are working on these issues, you know, the issues around communication and trust and video, like these are things that I just live and breathe every day. And, you know, I believe and I, kn I know you do as well, that there are just opportunities to use new technologies like ours to really advance the way the healthcare system operates and integrates with patients. Michael, thanks again for all your time. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Special thanks to Michael for coming on the show. Uh, voice of customer uh, is always a good one and something certainly that uh, really we talk about every week. We just may be framing it as a different topic, but this is always uh, kind of the center of what we think about as marketers. So it's uh, it's great to uh, kind of hit the nail on the head with this one and I appreciate his time and uh, coming on the show.
Again, sign up for the TPS report. You may be saying, I don't know what that means. And uh, if you go to our website, touchpoint.health, you'll see the TPS report. You can sign up. You'll get an email Monday mornings. Promise it's not a lot. It's like five articles from around the industry. And uh, it's a quick read, kind of gets your week off to a good start. Those uh, articles are aggregated by our show host. Also on there, though, are a list of any upcoming events and so I won't cover them exhaustively, but we've got links and dates for things like the Mayo Clinic, social media networks, uh, advanced social media conference in conjunction with ShishMed. We've got HCIC and the ShishMed conferences and HMPS and all, all that kind of fun stuff all listed out there. So be sure to check that out. Uh, we'll also talk about some webinars and things we have coming up as it gets a little bit closer. Sign up so you can uh, be apprised of all that. Let's do some recommendations. What do you what do you have today? Well, Reed, I find myself oftentimes, I always, whenever I'm on a call or I'm I'm interacting with with you know someone and wanting to take notes, I always have a little handy dandy notebook right by my side. And I know we've recommended, you know, having notebooks and notepads and things like that nearby. But the other thing that I found to be very, very helpful, just because I'm sort of a visual guy, is to have a sketchbook nearby. Mm. I've just recently really come to appreciate having a, a full-size sketchbook. Like what I'm talking about is either eight and a half by 11 or even larger, like a nine by 12 sketchbook. That is just a blank page where if you're talking about something, sometimes I draw schematics, sometimes I draw journeys and or, you know user flows, that sort of thing. Having that nearby as well is very helpful because then you can capture your thoughts visually. So I've taken to having both a notebook by my side and a sketchbook. And I found really good uh, deals for sketchbooks if you're if you want these on Amazon. The one I'm going to recommend is the Conda 8.5 by 11 or the 9 by 12 double-sided hardbound sketchbook, which is a spiral sketch pad. It has a hardcover on the outside. You can tear out the pages if you need to. It's great for various different types of pens, whatever. I know you recommend pens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it has two different sizes. Like I said, just, you know, a standard blank page where you could just draw. I have it by me. Like I said, a notebook and a sketch pad. Even when I'm on a Zoom call, I do that. So that's my recommendation. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I am going to recommend something. Uh, again, I'm pretty well known for this, but I'm going to recommend something else no one is going to buy or needs. It is from iVac and it's an automated vacuum switch. Mm. So I like to do it working. Uh, I've got some tools and whatnot out in the garage and uh, compound miter saw makes a lot of sawdust. Everybody likes a clean shop. So you hook up your dust collection to your compound miter saw and you're having to turn it on, you know, and then run the saw and then you got to go turn the vacuum thing back off or whatever. This switch allows you to plug the vacuum and the saw into this one module and then plug it into the wall. And so when you engage the saw, the vacuum automatically turns on oh. and off. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty exciting. It makes me feel like an actual woodworker that I've like automated my vacuum and dust collection system to one of my saws, but uh, pretty excited about that. So it's the iVac automated vacuum switch. Very cool. Yeah. Didn't yeah. even know one of those things existed. Awesome. Yeah, who knows? I mean, learn all kinds of stuff on YouTube these days. <laughs> there you go. Well, another great episode, another great one in the books, number 214, I believe it was. We certainly appreciate everybody listening, subscribing, tuning in. If you have not subscribed, please do so. 
Uh, we'd love that rating and review, that word of mouth, if you will. We'd love to hear from you on the socials. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.